Father, we are so grateful for this time. We're thankful for your church. We're thankful for your word. And we ask, O God, for your help, that as it's preached now, that you would change our hearts even where we sit. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that this word would teach us, instruct us, rebuke us, and train us in righteousness, that we'd be equipped for every good work. Lord, do this for us and for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christian leadership is not glamorous, even though we have sometimes a tendency to think that it is. Now, there are some situations in which pastors are held in high regard, but generally speaking, throughout church history and throughout the world, this is not the case. Consider, for example, how the very first pastors of the New Testament church got sent home to the Lord. Now, only the death of James is mentioned in the Bible, but church history and church tradition tell us that Peter and Paul were martyred in Rome under Nero. Paul is said to have been beheaded and Peter crucified upside down at his own request. Andrew preached in Greece, where he is said to have been crucified. Thomas is said to have been pierced through with the spears of four soldiers in India. Philip in Asia Minor converted the wife of the Roman proconsul there, and so that proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Matthew, some say, was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew, there's various accounts for how he died, but there seems to be a consensus that he too was martyred. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned and then clubbed to death, according to Josephus, the historian. Simon the Zealot, they say, was killed in Persia after refusing to sacrifice to the sun god. Matthias is said to have been killed in Syria by burning. And John, who is the only one who is thought to have died a natural death, is said to have survived being cast into boiling oil in Rome. So Christian ministry is not glamorous. Pastors are not immune to the suffering that we've been talking about as we've been going through 1 Peter. And in times, of, times and places of persecution, pastors are natural targets. Conventional thinking is that if you kill the leaders, the movement is going to die shortly afterward. Now, of course, that's not going to happen with Christianity because they couldn't keep its founder in the tomb. But enemies of Christ will nonetheless do their best to try to squash Christianity. So pastors are targets where Christianity is under attack. But even if pastors aren't specifically being targeted, pastors are always going to be impacted by Christian suffering because they shepherd a flock that is guaranteed suffering. There's really no need to point to particular passages at this point because as we've been going through 1 Peter, it has been made clear to us that suffering is a normal part of the Christian life. And therefore, Christian pastors need to learn to pastor well in suffering. And that's the main focus of today's passage, and therefore, it's the main focus of our sermon today. Now, depending on who we are and depending on what our roles are in this church family, this passage is going to be relevant to us in a few different ways. For us pastors, we're going to receive direct exhortation from God about how we ought to shepherd in times of suffering. For you men who desire to be pastors someday, this is going to help you understand what you should be preparing for. 
And for the rest of you who can't be pastors or have no desire to be one, this passage is going to help you understand what you can expect from us as your pastors and hold us accountable to and give you insight on how you can be supporting and praying for us. So this passage is relevant for all of us, and it demands our attention this morning. There are two main sections of our passage, the first one being much larger than the second one. And first, we're going to look at pastors and how they should shepherd. And then second, we'll look at members and how they should be shepherded. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. First, pastors, how they should shepherd. Pastors, how they should shepherd. Of the five verses that we're going to be covering today, the first four are addressed to pastors. So you can expect 80% of this sermon to be about us. But again, the rest of you need to know this just as much as we do, because we are constantly in need of your help, constantly in need of your prayers. And so we begin in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Notice how the verse begins with the word, so. And this is how we know that we can immediately tie this passage to Christian suffering. Because two weeks ago, Pastor Rolo walked us through the passage on suffering as a Christian. Remember, chapter 4, verses 16 through 19 tells us that if anyone suffers as a Christian, he shouldn't be ashamed, but he should glorify God in that name. It told us that suffering begins in the household of God and that we should entrust our souls to our Creator because it is His will for us to suffer while doing good. And then we see this word in verse 1 of chapter 5, so. In light of this reality that Christians are to glorify God in their suffering, since he himself is the one who wills it for his glory and for our good, Paul exhorts the elders among them. The word exhort means to strongly encourage or to urge someone to do something. Peter is appealing. He's pleading with the pastors of the church. And thus, we ourselves, brother pastors, are being exhorted by him. Now, we need to do a little systematic theology at this point. Because you might be asking, why do you keep saying pastor when the text says elder? And here's the claim that we're going to make over against other forms of church government that is out there. And here it is. Pastors are elders and elders are pastors. Okay? There is no difference between pastors and elders. We'll also add that overseers, a.k.a. bishops, are also the same thing as elders and pastors. And by the way, this is one of the main problems facing the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Many churches want to call women pastors, and they justify it by saying that pastors and elders aren't the same thing, that pastors are like department heads and they're not elders. But Scripture makes no distinction between the two. They almost put together a committee to figure out what the definition of a pastor is. They decided not to, but I'll fulfill that role for you today, okay? So Southern Baptist Convention, if you're listening, here's how it works, okay? There are no different classes of leadership in the church. The church is led, overseen, and shepherded by elders, also known as overseers, also known as pastors. Now, it's one thing to assert that. It's quite another thing to prove it, okay? So in your bulletins, We've placed a resource on this subject. We're going to review it quickly, and then you can email your follow-up questions to Pastor Rollo. 
Okay, so let's look. Acts 20, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. Follow on your handout. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul calls the elders to come to him, right? And then later, uh, 11 verses later in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So to this group of elders that he's gathered together, Paul says that God has made them overseers. He's made them bishops. He also says that their responsibility is to care for the church of God. Literally, that word that's translated care, poimano, means to act as a shepherd. It could well be translated shepherd the church of God, pastor the church of God, right? Ephesians 4:11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So we don't see elders or overseers here because in this list of church leaders, the emphasis is on the word ministry. And hence we see the phrase shepherds and teachers, which is talking about pastors, elders. The word that's translated as shepherds is the, is the noun form of the verb shepherd that we just saw in Acts 20, verse 28. 1 Timothy 5:17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now this is a verse that most commonly comes up that's used to make a distinction between elders and pastors. But this verse doesn't even imply a different role in the church, just a different task. All elders should rule well, and some labor in preaching and teaching. That doesn't mean that only some preach and teach. What it means is that some elders work particularly hard at it. They choriantes, they grow weary, they toil. And those who do that are especially worthy of double honor. Titus 1, verses 5 through 7. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So Paul calls Titus to appoint elders, then he lists qualifications for them, and then he calls them overseers, right? 1 Peter 5, our passage, verses 1 through 2. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd or pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So Peter calls the elders, or rather exhorts the elders and calls them to shepherd or pastor the flock of God. In conclusion, not of the sermon, don't get excited, just of this section, right? So elders, aka presbyters, pastors, aka shepherds, and overseers, aka bishops, are the same thing in the New Testament. All they're doing is simply speaking to different functions of these leaders. Pastors lead, they shepherd, and they oversee. Now, throughout church history, the church has made them three different offices in the church, but we 
think that that's going beyond what Scripture teaches on this subject. Now, here are some additional notes for our church in particular. First, you may have noticed that the elders of this church have chosen to favor the term pastor. And the main reason that we did that is is the culture around us. Because our culture places pastors above elders. And so to make it clear to the church that there is no hierarchy in our church leadership, we just regularly use the word pastor in place of elder. But again, they are the very same people in scripture. Your pastors are your elders and your overseers, okay? Second, our church has no associate pastors, executive pastors, youth pastors, Spanish pastors, etc. Our church has none of those things. We often have different roles and responsibilities, but we each hold the same office of pastor. Our church does have a senior pastor, but it's not one of us. It's Jesus Christ. He is, the passage says, the chief shepherd. We'll see that in our passage later. Our church's pastors bear equal responsibility and equal authority. And we are furthermore each other's pastors. These are my pastors sitting in the front row right here, okay? Pastor Rollo does bear the title of lead pastor according to our church's constitution. But if you ask him, he would be the first to tell you that that doesn't give him any higher authority than the other pastors. What it means functionally is that he takes point in several areas, like the majority of the preaching during the main service, facilitating our pastor's meetings, etc. But if you ask any of us to make a decision, including him, we're going to punt and we're going to say, we'll talk to the other pastors and get back to you. Okay? So bringing it back to the text, when Peter exhorts in verse 1 the elders, he is exhorting the pastors who are the very same people. And one of the ways that Peter strengthens his admonition is identifying with the elders. He refers to himself in verse 1 as a fellow elder. Now, apostles were certainly more than elders, but they were not less than elders. They were the first elders of the New Testament church. But with their gift of apostleship, they had a purpose, a gifting, and an authority that not all elders have. The apostles were commissioned to be the foundation of the church and they were thus gifted and given authority to speak and write on behalf of Christ in a way that's different than we pastors are. Before the New Testament was written, the church had devoted themselves, Acts 2.42 says, Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching. They, the apostles taught New Testament doctrine authoritatively before the New Testament was written and compiled. So pastors, we can simply teach and exhort from what has already been written and handed down to us. So if a pastor tells you that he has a word from the Lord for you, he better be able to show you from scripture where he found it. So Peter was an apostle, but he was also a fellow elder. Likewise, in 2nd and 3rd John, the apostle John refers to himself simply as the elder So Peter wasn't writing from on high, right? Like when a CEO of a grocery chain tries to relate to the boy who collects carts in the parking lot, right? That's not how Peter's writing. Peter himself was pastoring from his role of apostle. He wasn't disconnected from what pastors were going through. And he was holding them to the same standard that he was holding himself to as a fellow elder. Not only was he a fellow elder, but verse 1 also tells us 
that he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And this is either talking about the sufferings that Christ endured in his earthly ministry, which would include the crucifixion, because even though he didn't personally witness the crucifixion since he fled, he was still appointed to be Christ's witness to the ends of the earth. Or it's talking about a witness of the sufferings of Christ's body, the church. Remember that concept of sharing in Christ's sufferings from the previous passage. But in any case, he was a witness of both. And therefore, he could speak authoritatively on this subject. He's a fellow elder. He saw Christ's sufferings, and he has seen the suffering of the body of Christ. But not only that, but he's also, according to verse 1, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So we, we can see what Peter's doing here. Both of these last two concepts Peter has used earlier in the letter as motivations to suffer well for Christ. Christ suffered once for sins. We join him in his sufferings. But the suffering is temporary. We have a sure hope that in the end, we will be vindicated and glorified. All of our suffering and all of our shame is temporary. We have a sure hope that in the end, we're going to be vindicated and glorified. We're going to be raised with imperishable bodies in order to receive our imperishable inheritance. And Peter is right there with us. He suffered in this life too. And he too awaits the glory that is to be revealed. And he's a fellow pastor to boot. It's like he's saying, I'm one of you. Let's pasture well in our suffering. And then he writes in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. See, literal shepherds, actual shepherds in the Bible, they took care of their sheep, they fed their sheep, they loved their sheep, they protected their sheep, even with their own lives. And figuratively, that's what leaders of God's people were to do. Actually, kings being referred to as shepherds predates even the Bible. But it is the image that God uses in the Bible for his kings that he set over his people. Many of those shepherds were bad shepherds. But all of those king shepherds were pointing forward to Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. And that shepherd, Jesus Christ, appoints Peter, together with the rest of the apostles, to feed his sheep. And now Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock. The word shepherd is synonymous with pasture. As a matter of fact, uh, the Spanish word pastor literally means shepherd. So in, the, in that way, pastors are the successors of the apostles, not with the exact gifting, not with the exact calling, but with the same responsibility. The apostles were the first ones to shepherd the New Testament flock of God, and then they appointed elders to join them in their shepherding and to carry it out after the gift of apostles ceased. So immediately we see the weight of pastoring. We are to shepherd the flock of God, care for it, protect it, feed it, and love it. And pastors, it's not our sheep, not ultimately. It's God's sheep. We are stewards of God's sheep. What a privilege and what a weighty responsibility. Now, thank God that we four are not responsible for shepherding all of God's people all over the world. 
We're only called to, verse 2 says, shepherd the flock of God among us. In this case, that's First Baptist Church of the Lakes. Primarily, that's the membership of this church. But honestly, if we were giving an account to God, we probably could not excuse ourselves and say, well, that was just a regular attender, not a member. If you're a Christian among us, I believe we are responsible for shepherding you. And that's why we press church membership if you're a Christian. Please make it easy for us to draw the lines between who are the sheep we're supposed to shepherd and who are the goats among the sheep. We're not saying that if you're not a member, you're not a sheep. But what we're saying is if you're a sheep, you should be a member. Make it easy for us to shepherd the flock of God among us. Notice in verse 2 that we are to shepherd the flock of God among us, exercising oversight. Not all manuscripts have that phrase, exercising oversight, which does cause a difficult decision for translators. Now, the NET Bible First Edition Notes puts it this way. A few important manuscripts lack exercising oversight, but the participle enjoys otherwise good manuscript support. A decision is difficult because normally the shorter reading is preferred, especially when found in excellent witnesses. However, in this instance, the omission may be due to a hesitation among some scribes to associate oversight with elders, since the later church viewed overseer slash bishop as a separate office from elder, end quote. So in other words, there are some excellent manuscripts that lack the phrase exercising oversight. And usually a good rule of thumb is that when there are extra words, that those were added later. But there is a potential motivation for having removed those words in some manuscripts. Because remember, sometime in church history, bishops became distinct from elders. And if you believe that, it's confusing to have elders doing the overseeing work of bishops. So it's quite possible that some well-meaning scribes omitted the phrase, thinking was an error. But remember, even without this passage, what we observed earlier in that resource in your bulletin, right? In Acts 20, Paul uses the words elder and overseer interchangeably. So even if the phrase exercising oversight isn't in Peter's original, it's absolutely true. Elders are to shepherd the flock of God and exercise oversight. And by the way, uh, with all of the, the variants that they'll find in these different manuscripts, most of them are just spelling errors, and some of them are things like this, but you'll notice that no variations make any changes to Christian doctrine. So God has preserved his word in that way. Praise be to God. Okay? So what does it mean to exercise oversight? A good analogy for this is the idea of a supervisor. Okay? A supervisor doesn't own the business. He is assigned by the business owner or the manager to oversee the operation. He is held responsible for the supervision. And supervisors don't just get to make up company policy, right? They enforce company policy with a level of authority. And similarly, pastors and overseers don't own the church. We are assigned by Christ to oversee the church. We are responsible for the supervision of the church. And we also don't just get to make up Christ's policies. But we do have the responsibility to enforce his policies with a level of authority. We are to see to it that the flock of God is doing what the flock of God is supposed to be doing. Oversight implies authority. 
What good would it be if pastors could see what is happening without the authority to be able to actually do something about what they see? So pastors supervise the church on behalf of the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And verse 2 tells us that pastors are to do this not under compulsion. In other words, a pastor should want to pastor. How do you know that you're called to be a pastor? One of the indications is that you want to do it. That by itself doesn't qualify you to be one. But if you don't want to be one, don't be one. You're disqualified from being one. Pastors shouldn't pastor under compulsion. Why would Peter even need to say this? Remember, pastoring is hard. It's especially hard when the church is being persecuted. Perhaps there might have been some people who would have been pressured to be elders simply out of need, but elders should want to be elders. Peter's main point is probably not so much don't do this if you don't want to, but rather, if you're a pastor, you should want to pastor. You shouldn't begrudgingly shepherd the people of God. You should want to do it for the Lord. Peter says in verse 2, not under compulsion, but willingly. This is like the obedience that parents want from their children. Parents don't want children to obey with a bad attitude. Or, or it's like the love of a person that a person wants from their spouse. There is no wife that wants flowers from her husband merely out of duty. Similarly, the Lord doesn't want pastors who pasture with a bad attitude, nor out of mere duty. And hence the phrase at the end of verse 2, willingly as God would have you. My brothers, pastors, God would have a shepherd and oversee willingly. Pastors also shouldn't pastor, verse 2 says, for shameful gain. They shouldn't pastor in order to gain a ton of money or to promote themselves. They shouldn't be like the prophet Balaam, who was hired to curse Israel. They shouldn't be like Judas, who was stealing from the money bag and ended up betraying the Lord for money when he wasn't getting what he wanted out of him. Instead, pastors should pastor, verse 2 says, eagerly. How is eagerness the opposite of shameful gain? The one who pastors eagerly won't care what he gets out of it. The one who pastors as a, luc- as a lucrative career choice will leave it when the money dries up. The one who pastors to gain followers will compromise when the numbers drop. We need eager pastors who will make tents and starve if they have to. Don't get me wrong. Churches should take care of their pastors. But pastors shouldn't pastor for shameful gain, but eagerly. Pastors should stick it out for better or worse, for richer or poorer. Pastors shouldn't be out looking for a better career opportunity. They should be content to eagerly shepherd the flock of God among them. Do you know what's impressive? Not the mega church pastor who just got an even larger church. What's impressive is the faithful pastors of a tiny church who stick around for 30 plus years. That's impressive. Peter continues in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pastors are not to domineer over those in their charge. What that means is to lord it over them, to, to flaunt their authority. And you know this kind of leadership style, the my way or the highway kind of leadership, or the do as I say, not as I do kind of leadership. No, instead we are to be, verse three, 
examples to the flock. Pastors shouldn't lead only by example, but surely they do need to lead by example. We should not tell anyone to do anything that we aren't willing to do ourselves. We shouldn't just boss people around, but be able to say like the Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I was exploring this subject recently with a pastor friend of mine because it was confusing to me how in every other leadership relationship in the Bible, Christians are to obey as long as it's not sin. But when it comes to pastors, people demand chapter and verse. This pastor friend said something really insightful. He said, if you were considering someone for the pastorate and you were at their house and they were just bossing their wife and their kids around and everyone was just following him out of fear, would you want that guy to be your pastor? The answer is obvious. That's not the way pastors should exercise oversight, domineering over their churches. Instead, they should be like Peter here. Hey, I'm one of you. Let's live like this. Let's stop doing this and do this instead. In verse 4, we see a motivation of, for pastors. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In classic Peter style, he's, he has us looking ahead for a greater hope. Christ is the senior pastor. He is, verse 4, the chief shepherd. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords, and the shepherd of shepherds. We are under shepherds, representing the chief shepherd and shepherding you on his behalf. And our sure hope is that he's coming back. When he comes back, pastors, we're going to be relieved of duty. And we will, verse 4 says, receive the unfading crown of glory. This crown is a reward for our toil. It's a symbol of honor for our toil. And while crowns, they're not going to matter to us when we're in the presence of Jesus, the crown acts like the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Pastors should want to have the chief shepherd pleased with what we did with our stewardship. Pastors, future pastors, don't go after power. Don't go after riches and fame. All of that is going to fade away. Christ is going to crown you with the unfading crown of glory. Shepherd with an eternal mindset. And that's going to help you when pastoring gets tough in this life. The toil is temporary. The suffering is short. The pain will pass. Shepherd well for the glory of Christ. Now, what are the applications for each of us in this first part of the sermon? Pastors, brothers, in this age, when suffering is normal for the Christian church, shepherd the flock of God, exercise oversight, do it with a good attitude, do it not for your sake, but for the sake of Christ and his bride. Don't be a bossy pastor. Lead not only by your words, but by your example, and hang in there. Hang on to Christ. He's going to return and relieve us. Men who want to be pastors, consider these things before you pursue the pastorate. Being a pastor is incredibly rewarding, but it ain't easy. I'll confess to you that when I went to seminary, all I pictured was just being the guy who preaches over people. 
Pastoring is much more than that. This is easy. Most of y'all love the word of God. This part is one of the, the easiest parts. Ministry is hard. People are hard. And the burdens that we bear with people are heavy. And I, for one, love it. I love it. We all do. And if you're called, you're going to love it too. But just go into this with your eyes wide open. Members of the lakes, we're going to get to you in the second point. But for right now, just consider these things. Recognize what God has called your pastors to do and help us to do that well. But also hold us accountable. Make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do. And if we ever get greedy or power hungry, correct us and remove us if necessary. Encourage us and remind us to have an eternal mindset. And perhaps most importantly of all, pray for us that we would live out this passage. So, so far the pastors have been exhorted to shepherd well in the midst of suffering. Much more succinctly now we move to our second point, number two, members, how they should be shepherded, how they should be shepherded. Verse five, the beginning of verse five says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now something that this is just talking about young people and old people in general, and that is possible, but it doesn't seem to follow logically from what we just covered. Instead, what I think Peter's doing here is using a play on words. What is the opposite of elder? Younger. So I think what Peter is talking about is the membership of the church who are not elders. So if we are the elders, you are the youngers. And what youngers are supposed to do is be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. That phrase, if you've been attending this church for a while, should start sounding familiar at this point. Remember chapters 2 and 3, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. 1 Peter 2, 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And now, chapter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. In all of these verses, the root verb is hupotasso, which means to place or rank under, to subject or to obey. In this context, what that means is that the members ought to put themselves in second place to the pastors or put themselves in a lower rank than the pastors. It implies obedience to the pastors, which Hebrews 13, 17 actually says explicitly, obey your leaders. Now you might say this verse is not clearly talking about members and pastors, but instead could be talking about younger people and older people. And certainly you should respect your elders and submit to them. Uh, your older people, I mean. But that would seem to rip this verse right out of context because Peter was just speaking to who? The elders of the church. But even if that were the case, there are other passages that support this idea that members ought to be subject to the pastors of the church. We just touched on one earlier in Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Members are to obey their pastors and submit to them, and pastors, in turn, are going to give an account for their leadership of the church. And then there's 1 Timothy 5.17, 1 Timothy 5.17, in which Paul writes to Timothy, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Well, what does it mean to rule? The word translated as rule in that verse means to be over, to superintend, to preside over. So Christ has structured the church in such a way in which elders are set over the membership to superintend them and preside over them. That's what it means to rule. And elders who rule well exercise their leadership well and they arrange and manage the church well. And if pastors are set over the membership by Christ to preside over church matters, then church membership should be subject to the pastors in these things. Now, this is a bit uncomfortable to preach because we don't want to come across like we're just putting our foot down and we're expressing to you that we're in charge. That's not our aim. Our aim is simply to just continue in 1 Peter, <laughs> right? And verse 5 exhorts us members, be subject to the elders. And I say us members because even the pastors are members who need to be subject to the pastors. Furthermore, other passages exhort us pastors to rule well, and they implicitly warn us that we are going to give an account to God. So all we're doing this morning is just letting God speak and letting God order our church as he pleases. God has placed pastors to oversee the church and to direct the members to be subject, I'm sorry, and he directs the members to be subject to the pastors that he's placed over them. And as always, when God orders something, it's a good order. It glorifies him. And it's beneficial to us. How is it beneficial to the members when they subject themselves to their pastors? Well, one benefit is that pastors have been given to us to equip us and to build us up. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says that God gave spiritual leaders to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. If you let your pastors do that, then you're going to be equipped to do what God would have you do. And to the end, that everybody here grows up in Christ. That's what we all want. Another benefit is that pastors speak the word of God to us, and they serve as an example to us. Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Our leadership of you is based on the word of God. We strive to only tell you what God says. And we also strive to live according to his word and live by example. A third benefit is that pastors admonish us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Listen, one of the things that we need to stay on track in this life is admonition. We need warning. 
Be subject to your pastors, and if you are, it'll cause you to heed our warnings and stay spiritually safe. A fourth benefit is that pastors care for us. Acts 20, verse 28, addresses pastors when it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. When you subject yourselves to your pastors, you rightly receive our care and our shepherding. We've had members come and go who don't subject themselves to their pastors. And here's what that looks like. Such a person refuses to serve the church despite their pastor's pleading, hoarding their spiritual gifts to themselves, and thus making little to no impact on the church's spiritual maturity. Such a person doesn't really listen to his pastor's teaching and preaching, instead preferring the sermons of their favorite pastors on the internet. Rather than trying to imitate his pastors as they imitate Christ, he looks for all of their faults and criticizes them whenever he can. He doesn't heed their admonitions, thinking that he actually knows better than them, and he therefore hurts himself spiritually. And he's convinced that he is not in need of the care that Christ provides him through Christ's under-shepherds. Don't be like that member. Such a member does not glorify the Lord, nor benefit from Christ's gift of spiritual leadership and oversight. Now, some have said that the only authority that pastors have is what they explain to you from the Bible. But if that's the case, then how on earth is our role any different from anyone else's in the church? If we quote a Bible verse to you and it's taken in the correct context and it's applicable to your situation, then you should listen to us, right? But that's true about any member of the church. If a little old lady tells you something from the Bible in that way, then you should listen to her. Furthermore, that's not how any other subjection in the New Testament works. When the emperor tells the citizen to do something, the citizen doesn't say, well, where's that in the Bible? When a father decides that the kid's bedtime is 8 p.m., the children don't say, chapter and verse, please. (laughs) The rule of being subject to authority seems to be this. If it's not sinful, you should do what the person is telling you to do. Why should that be any different when it comes to be subject to your elders? So what does that look like practically? Practically speaking, when your pastors beg you weekly to be part of a D group, you ought to if you can. We're just trying to equip you and shepherd you. Your attitude shouldn't be, well, where's D group in the Bible? Where's prayer service in the Bible? Where's Wednesday night service in the Bible? No, your attitude should be, God has placed these spiritual leaders over me, and in good faith, I'm going to try to do what they're asking me to do. We realize, of course, that some of these things are impossible for you to do in your current situation. But brothers and sisters, if it's not impossible, then being subject to your pastors looks like doing what they ask you to do, as long as it's not sinful. It also looks like taking your pastor's counsel seriously. So here's an example. Let's say that a young man tells us that he wants to propose 
to one of the young women in church like tomorrow. He doesn't have a good job. He doesn't practice his own spiritual disciplines well. And she became a Christian like two minutes ago. We might say, brother, that does not seem like a good idea. Well, there are no laws in the Bible that say you have to have a good job before you get married. There is no line drawn in the Bible for how often you should be having quiet time before you could get married. And there is no minimum requirement for how long a potential spouse should be a Christian before you can marry her. But if your pastors tell you that diving into this situation is unwise, then being subject to your pastors means, you know, I don't know if I fully agree, but I'm going to listen to their counsel. I'm going to pump the brakes on this. We've said this before to people in situations like this. Look, you can do it if you want, but we'll see you in a couple months for marriage counseling. So being subject to your pastors means doing what they ask you to do if you're able and taking their counsel seriously. And just as is the case for every authority structure in the Bible, our authority is not unlimited. It is not unlimited. We've already established that if we tell you to sin, then not only do you need to refuse to do that, but you need to rebuke us. But also, we're limited in that we should not be domineering, as we saw earlier. Just as masters should not threaten their servants, as fathers should not provoke their children to anger, and as husbands should live with their wives in an understanding way, so pastors should be careful not to lord their authority over the sheep. So if a pastor becomes a bully, then at that point he has overstepped his authority and he needs to be disciplined and perhaps removed. So while members are to be subject to their pastors, there are limits to that leadership. Therefore, there's limits to that submission. Having said that, praise the Lord, we are not currently in a situation where our pastors are being domineering. I say that again because I'm a member of this church. I thank God for my pastors. We should do our best to do what they ask us to do. We should take their counsel seriously. We should receive all the benefits of the gift that Christ has given to us, namely our pastors. Now, this is true for Christians, even if their pastors aren't very good. That would actually fall in line with every other relationship that Peter has talked about so far, right? But brothers and sisters, you have been blessed with a group of good and godly men over you. I'm going to take myself out of that explanation because not doing so would be self-serving and presumptuous. But I too, as a member of this church, have three incredible pastors. One of my pastors is kept up at night when something is going on with one of the members. That's how much he loves you. He loses sleep over you. Another one of my pastors is our resident expert on Reformed Baptist theology and classical theism. The other pastor pierces my very soul every single time he takes the pulpit. I resent him for that. <laughs> Guys, I have three incredible pastors. And if you don't see what a gift these men are to you, then either you have placed your celebrity pastors that you watch on the internet on a pedestal 
and they don't even know who you are. They don't care about you. They care about you in theory, but they don't know who you are. Or you really have no idea what a typical American pastor is like. Brothers and sisters, we are incredibly blessed. I thank God for you, brothers. I really do. But even if we didn't have this embarrassment of riches, of gifted pastors that we do, we would still be commanded by God through Peter to be subject to our elders. That is how we should be shepherded. And ideally, when everything is working properly, the pastors rule well, the members follow well, and everyone grows up together in Christ. So we've seen how pastors should shepherd and how members should be shepherded. Sermon in a sentence. Pastors should lovingly shepherd the flock, and members should be humbly shepherded. Let's bring this home by addressing four different groups of people. Number one, those who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ. Those who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ. If that's you, then we are not yet your pastors. We are your evangelists. And we exhort you, like we do every single week, to not continue your eager sprint toward hell, but instead to receive forgiveness for all of your sins by trusting in Jesus Christ. And then we'll help you grow in him, okay? So those who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ. The second group is those who have historically not listened to their pastors. I'm not picking on anyone. Like, I don't have anyone in my head in particular, but if you feel like I'm talking about you, that may be the Holy Spirit convicting you, okay? You only do that not listen to your pastors, to your own harm. God has given us to you for your good. Receive the blessings of the chief pastor by putting yourself under the pastors that he has provided for you. The third group of people are those who already buy into all of this. Keep praying for us. Keep serving alongside us. We are constantly in need of your prayers, in need of your help, this is a heavy, heavy burden, and we are so grateful for you who help us carry it. And lastly, those who are pastors, thank you, brothers, for doing what the Lord has called you to do. Keep shepherding us. Keep overseeing us with a Christ-like demeanor. Keep caring for us patiently. Keep striving to be a good example to us. And take heart, brothers, when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for giving us this gift of pastors. And Lord, I know that we're not perfect because I'm one of them. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to shepherd according to your truth, according to your word, not according to pragmatism and not according to our own desires. Help us to shepherd the flock of God well in the midst of suffering. And help us all as members, O oh Lord, to be subject to this, to this authority that you've placed over us, not out of uh, mere duty, but out of the joy of receiving the gift that you have given to us through, through them. Help us all, O oh Lord, to do all things to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.